Yeah, well, I think one of the things is like, I like doing the what have you been watching lately, but I think maybe that has to go because that's usually where a good hour of our content goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what this episode's going to be. So it, exactly. That's why I was he, his suggestion was like, break it up so that you guys have that like every like instead of like every episode, you have it every, you know, couple of episodes. And I was like, I can see that being a thing because that's what happened with the the Academy Award one was like, we just didn't have time. There's too much that we had to cover. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, when it's something like the old guard or the midnight sky, <laughs> there's a little bit more room for like, all right, we need some content here. But <laughs> The midnight sky. What's your review? It's fine. It was bad. All right. <laughs> In other news. Um, I didn't like yeah. it, and I'm mad at you for suggesting. <laughs> that was my favorite part. <laughs> like, I could have been doing anything else but watching this goddamn movie. Uh, but it has one of my favorite, like, the thumbnail I made of it is probably one of my favorite thumbnails I've ever made. I know. That is a really good thumbnail. George Clooney's face on uh, Sam Porter. Sam Porter Bridges. What's his other name? Metaphor's body. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think uh, the soul uh, card is probably my favorite. I do like the soul one. I do like that one a lot. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. Like, oh, and the, um, that one and then the, the Irishman uh, Knives Out one where it's, it's old Robert De Niro <laughs> with young Robert De Niro's face like just poorly photoshopped on. <laughs> and then <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn Daniel Craig. <laughs> oh, let's get started. <laughs> All right. She went under the wheels. Wow. Affected. Welcome to Under the Wheels. I'm Matthew. And I'm Gabe. And in today, we're just going to play catch up. That's, that's yep. it. That's my intro. So anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking back to the to some of the old uh, thumbnails. And I, like the one that I really want to have another go at is the, um, ironically enough, is the Death Stranding one. Because like I had a really, I had an idea that I really liked and it just, I just couldn't there was something off about it and like I, I want another go at it no. I think all the in-jokes are there but they could be executed better yeah I kind of get what you mean because you, you tied it in with uh, Parasite right uh, not the de- the Death Stranding one yeah no the Death, St- the Death Stranding one I had um, Revolver Ocelot's face on over um, Lindsay Wagner's face and then I tried to Photoshop um, what's his name uh guy who anytime they do an Igor impression they do an impression of him over Guillermo del Toro's face (laughs) (laughs) I can never think of his Peter Laurie Peter Laurie's face so I don't know if people when they're doing Igor they're trying to channel Peter Laurie but I always feel like he's meester like (laughs) so you despise me don't you Rick 
<laughs> that's the only thing I remember from Casablanca. Everyone, like, really? There's so yeah. There's so many like famous quotes from Casablanca. The only one I remember is Peter Lorre saying, "You despise me, don't you, Rick?" <laughs> so, so like I know play play it again, Sam. I know that's famous, but the thing I remember from that is it was good enough for her. It's good enough for me. Like. I don't know why that part stands out. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Let's see. what else? Uh, Yeah, I remember things about it. Like, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, my God. I can't think of his name. But he's like a great character actor. The guy who plays as the, uh, like, the commandant in Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Um, him being, like, super pervy to all of, like, the the women who are trying to get, like, a, like a, uh, a visa out of there. And he's like, oh, well, if you come to my office, you know, and you, you know... And you oh, old boy. Hollywood version of blow me, I will give you the money so that you can blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, oh did you have to take this role? But he's, he's used to taking like the villain roles. He was in um, Lawrence of Arabia. I don't know if you even remember him in that, but. What? Uh, the guy who was the commandant. Oh, my God. I can't remember his name. I'm just going to look up the adventures of Robin Hood because it'll be faster because he plays as King John in it. Uh, Claude Rains. Claude Rains. He's like oh. one of my favorite character actors, and he's in a bunch of like he just pops up randomly and stuff, and you're like, oh, it's Claude Rains. It's like, oh, it's good, good to see him in there because like other, I was worried this movie was going to be utter shit, but at least he's in there, so it's not quite as bad as it could be. So. <laughs> he played Mr. Dryden in Lawrence of Arabia. I'm trying to remember. He's like the, the Mr. Dryden was the the politician who was kind of like negotiating with Alec Guinness and T. E. Lawrence. Oh, and like he okay. he open after the intermission, it opens with a scene featuring him. He's super old in that movie because like obviously if he was like old looking in the Adventures of Robin Hood, by the time um, Lawrence of Arabia came around, he's like you know circling the drain. But mm. when did he pass away? 1967. So yeah, that was like. Right near the end of his career. Damn. Yeah. So, Matt, what have you been watching lately? No, 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 no. Gabe, what have you been watching lately? Shit ton of <laughs> Japanese movies is what I've been watching lately. Let's. I want to talk about that. So, all of a sudden, you're on this uh, Shinya Tsukamoto kick. So, yeah. like, can you talk a little bit about him and, like, what kind of got you on this? All of a sudden, this has become, like, under the wheels interview edition. Um, <laughs> I know. But I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious because, like, all of a sudden, these reviews started popping up. And I was like, what the heck? Tetsuo 1 and 2? What the heck? Tokyo Fist? Like, <laughs> what is what is going on here? So, so Gabe, this is just, like, a long con in order for me to just, like, corner you in and, t- and have you talk about this for a bit. You sure you don't want me to talk about Jojo Rabbit, which I also saw recently? Hmm. <laughs> All right, we'll start with Jojo Rabbit and get to Tsukamoto. I'm just kidding. Tsukamoto. Jojo Rabbit's it's it's a good movie, but was um, it? Yeah, it's good. It's nothing like amazing or anything, but it, you know, it's it's it's. I was about to say it's fun. It's not fun, fun because it's kind of depressing, but it's it's a like, good movie. Did you see uh, Hunt for the Wilder People? No, I haven't seen okay. any of Taika Waititi's like actual New Zealand movies. What you do in the shadows is really funny, or what we do in the shadows is really funny. But uh, yeah, so I've heard. There's a scene. Well, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah so, Jojo Rabbit. So yeah, with Shinya Tsukamoto, uh <laughs> <laughs> Jojo Rabbit was good. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. 
Um, yeah, I saw Tetsuo maybe a year ago or like a year and a half ago, and I thought it was just amazing. And then recently, I my uncle alerted me to the fact that Grindhouse Video was having a uh, like some big sale across their store to celebrate uh, just for the month of April or whatever. <clears throat> and Arrow Video put out a box set of a bunch of Shinji Tsukamoto's films along with like you know special features and like a bunch of his shorts and other stuff and you know, one nice fancy package and it was half off so I jumped on that and then because Grindhouse Video is apparently it's like a two-man or one-man operation and it's a tiny store in Florida it took like they it took like a month to get my order because I guess they were just so inundated but yeah since I got it I've been trying to watch like one of those movies per week the first one i watched was tetsuo 2 which is obviously not really a sequel to the first one at all um and then i watched uh, tokyo fist right after okay so yeah that's how i got into it okay so is it is it one of those things like um the first tetsuo was shiny and chrome the second one was also good and then kind of tokyo fist not quite as good um, yeah, so I'd say Tetsuo 1 and 2 are both pretty shiny and chrome, um, mm-hmm. you know, not having anything to do with the fact that they're about, like, metal men or anything, <laughs> but, uh, so the, the interesting thing about Tetsuo 2 is it's more of a remake or, like, a redux of Tetsuo 1, but with a bigger budget, hmm. um, so... Tetsuo is about a like meek, mild-mannered salaryman who is uh, transformed into like a cyborg against his will and just starts destroying everything. And he sort of unwittingly falls into the plans of this absolute lunatic who like worships metal. And um they end up having like this big fight and the metal worshiper also wants to like destroy the world. Um, so it's, it's pretty straightforward, but it's got a lot of really cool, um, like cinematic techniques. It's got a lot of like awesome practical effects. Like, you know, this movie was made for no budget shot in black and white. Um, and all of the like metal monsters and stuff like look completely insane and they're they're done in a really cool way mm-hmm. and um Tsukamoto has to be super creative with how he displays like these characters and their superpowers right because <clears throat> like uh, both guys when they sort of transform into their metal states they can like kind of skate they have like rocket skates on their feet so they can move at super speed and the way he translates that into um onto the screen through stop motion is really interesting um he uses a lot of stop motion actually in the first tetsuo for like the super speed to show like them transforming um and it's really cool it's also just like hyper violent and hyper insane which you know that's how i like my japanese movies well yeah Um, who doesn't yeah (laughs) so the second one is uh, similar concept it's it's longer it's in color it's got a much bigger cast it uses like more locations and 
more special effects. And there's like little tweaks to the story. A lot of the characters are sort of expanded upon and stuff. So like the meek salary man and the metal worshiper are still are still the two main characters in the movie. They're played by the same people, okay. but they have kind of expanded roles and expanded backstories. So in the second one, it's about a meek salary man whose son is kidnapped by a cult of metal worshippers. And in his attempts to rescue his son, he transforms on his own into like this uh, rage-fueled cyborg, basically. He turns into like a living cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Megatron from Transformers, the cartoon. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> he basically turns himself into a human gun. And then all these cultists, like, they want to be like him. And then their leader is, um, you know, the metal worshiper from the first movie. And he's also like a super, he himself is a superpowered cyborg. But, you know, there's, they, they, it kind of expands on a lot of the ideas of the first movie, a lot of the themes. The metal worshiper, who's played by Shinji Tsukamoto in both, and um, the salary man, who's played by Tomoro Taguchi in both, um, they kind of have a more, like, a complex relationship and a larger backstory in the second one and then the mm -hmm. the main guy the salary man also has a family in the second one okay so my first question then is but that feels so contrived in the second one that they're like oh well we need to give instead of it just being like let me let me take a step back so one thing that i love about like super low budget movies by directors especially good ones is that there's like a natural energy to the movie where they don't mm -hmm. feel like they need to create certain things like um, I'm going to say contrived motivations, but like in a lot of, in a lot of like American adaptations of foreign movies, you see where they have like this, Oh, well we need to make sure that the, that our audience gets invested in the, in the character. So let's give him a family and like, give him this and that and and we're gonna have a conflict with the family or his wife is gonna die and that's what's gonna drive him in whereas in like other movies um like especially low budget ones where they don't care about audience investment and they're just doing it for themselves they're just like yeah this kind of this thing happens and like it's the the root of it is more based off of just like their own personal human emotion i'm not saying that's the case with tetsuo one because you made it clear that it was just like he was, it sounds like he was kidnapped and like forcibly turned into a cyborg. But like in the second well, one, it sounds like, it sounds like it's a contrived sort of like, he has a son play, you know, cue montage sequence of him with his son. Both are like, a whole lot weirder than that. <laughs> I um, mean, I, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So it doesn't, okay. it doesn't feel like contrived motivation. Second one a little bit <clears throat> because um, the, as, as this is a <clears throat> getting into spoilers, but as the second yeah. one goes along, you learn that the two main characters have like a past together, which felt a little contrived, like when it was getting revealed. Although it they they managed to make it work thematically uh, within the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. So with the first one, the the basic plot of the first one is. Um, so there's a guy who worships metal and wants to destroy the world. And he lives inside of like a, like a bunker of made out of steel wires and posters of like bodybuilders and athletes. Mm -hmm. And um, in order mm -hmm. to make himself more powerful, he mm -hmm. 
decides to try an experiment where he carves open his own leg and inserts a metal rod into it. Very quickly, the, the wound becomes infected and covered with maggots, so he has a panic attack and runs outside. When he runs outside, he gets hit by a car. <laughs> okay. So it turns out, and the other thing with the first one is it's a lot more abstract. It definitely has that like avant-garde experimental film type of feel, whereas the second one is a little more um, conventional. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, anyway, you find out later in the movie that the car was being driven by Mr. Mild-Mannered Salaryman and his girlfriend. And okay. rather than call for the police or for help after hitting this guy, I guess they're so turned on by the thrill of the event that they just watch him dying and have sex up against a tree. What? God yeah. damn it, Japanese. <laughs> my, how we love you. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. So then the uh, the metal worshiper survives. And... He creates like this uh, metal blob that can basically possess people and turn them into zombies. So the blob uh, possesses a woman and turns her into a metal zombie at a train station. And then he uses he pilots her to attack the salary man when he's trying to take the subway home. Um, the salary man survives and manages to kill this lady. But in the process, I think she, like, touches him or something. So he becomes infected with the the metal that's on her. The salary and man it's, does? The salary man does. And it's like okay. a, you know, David Cronenberg-type body horror thing where he slowly starts, like, the, inf- the metal infection starts spreading and he starts turning into this machine. And uh, he eventually starts losing his mind. He uh, accidentally kills his girlfriend with a, with a drill dick. and then when he's at his lowest point basically the metal worshiper shows up and they have like this giant destructive fight across uh the industrial wastes of tokyo oh my god oh my god amazing (laughs) it's so amazing amazing and then so yeah, the thing with the family in the second one is like he's got a wife and a kid, and he's always talking about how like he can't he like he was he was orphaned when he was eight, mm-hmm. um, and he like he has vague memories of his parents, but he can never like remember their faces or anything about them, and he wants to learn more about his family. And then you know his son gets kidnapped, he and his wife chase after the kid, and you know there it's part of some game being played by the cultists where he's like injected with a piece of metal that they think is going to transform him into a cyborg as part of their own experiments. Mm-hmm. And um, about 15 minutes into the movie, one of the kidnappers is holding his son hostage, and he's so overcome by rage, he turns into a gun and kills his son. <laughs> I mean, and it's a that, truly, it's like... tragic, yeah. It's tragic, but it's also completely nuts, because... <laughs> Like, the the cultist is holding his son up by his hands, and, like, the guy just sees white, and there's this big loud bang and a flash, and you don't see anything, and then the cultist is just holding, like, two tiny hands, and that's it. And you're just like, holy fucking shit, what the fuck just happened? 
So obviously he becomes estranged from his wife because he blew up their right. son. Then he gets kidnapped by the cultists, and they perform a set of experiments on him before trying to kill him. And he's so overcome by rage that he turns into an even bigger, like, like, like not only is his arm a giant cannon, but he has, like, cannons coming out of his chest and stuff. And he just starts, like, blowing up the cultists' base. And, um, you know, the lead scientist is like, quick, we have to kill him. Like, he's out of control. And then Shinya Sukamoto, who's, uh, like, Mr. Cool Cyborg Man, has a, he, he does a thing where he can make, like, a, a finger gun with his hand and kill people with it okay so he does that to, to the head scientist guy like he just blows the guy's head off um and then there's it it basically turns into an action movie after that it's just like fight scene after fight like action sequence after fight sequence like there's a car chase there's um there's a bunch of huge battles the the main guy eventually turns into a tank like a human tank type of thing, and he has this crazy fight with uh, the the me- the main metal worshiper, who's you know he's basically like a sleek. He, he just looks like a really athletic, skinny dude, but he's got mm-hmm. the handgun. <clears throat> so they have, they have this crazy fight, and then it's sort of revealed that I guess getting are you are you right if I spoil it? Yeah, I'm fine. Go ahead. Okay. So yeah, it like uh, oh, and they kidnap his wife too. So his wife's being okay. held hostage. They, um, you know, the the main villain basically reveals that he and the main salary man are actually brothers. Of course. And that the reason why he can't, the salary man can't remember his family or his parents is that um, when they were really little kids, their dad was obsessed with. Like, their dad had some weird, like, alchemical powers where he could merge, like, you know, real, like, uh, living creatures with metal objects. So, like, he he fuses a cat with, like, a teapot, and it's this horrible monstrosity. But he comes obsessed, he becomes obsessed with the idea of turning his children into human weapons. So, he, he fuses guns into their hands and teaches them to kill. But the salary man, who's the older brother, is always, like... He's, he's always, like, frightened and not willing to use any kind of force, whereas the, the younger one, like, absolutely loves it. Okay. And um, then you find... <laughs> and then there's, like, a crazy scene where, um, like, the parents are, are doing it, and the dad is, like, threatening the mom with a gun at the same time. And the kids, like, stumble in on this, and the, the older one is so freaked out, he goes crazy and kills both parents, and then loses his memory of everything. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a comic book. It, oh, yeah, it's absolutely like, crazy. Oh, yeah, so at the end of the first Tetsuo, the, the two, the, the metal worshiper and the salary man fuse together into one giant, like, basically into a giant tank and embark on a quest to destroy all of Tokyo. And that's kind of where the movie ends. In the second one, you know, okay. the, the, the main guy, or the main villain talks about kind of the, the, like, the beauty of destruction. He's always talking about how like, it's important to destroy things and how like, Tokyo needs to be, the world needs to be destroyed, basically. So he fuses together with his brother after kind of reawakening his brother's memories 
even though the the salary man wins the fight like like they have this crazy fight and the the metal worshiper is basically reduced to the top half of his head um mm-hmm. so it's just like his nose up and nothing else but he shoots a cable out of his forehead that connects to the main guy's forehead and like replays all these old memories and they sort of fuse together um and then you know having basically defeated the all the bad guys the main character the salary man who's a giant tank now turns to his wife and says like you know hey there's like that there's a gun in the movie where if you shoot one of these metal men with it they'll rust and die Mm -hmm. so he tells his wife like shoot me with the gun so i'll rest and die and this can be over like please just put me out of my misery and she's about to but she can't bring herself to do it she refuses Right. So then um, all the other cultists like come around and start worshiping the tank man and he absorbs all of them. And then with his wife kind of like riding alongside him, they destroy presumably all of Tokyo. And then the end of the movie is the salary man's back to normal. He, his wife and a new son are wandering around the, the rubble of what used to be Tokyo reunited as a family interesting well no there are these moments where like there's definitely movies that like i lean towards and movies that you lean towards and both of these seem like movies that i would probably need to be watching with you to fully appreciate <laughs> um I mean, it's like this. Explaining the plot of these movies doesn't do them justice because it's like the it's. You're, it's yeah, the, you're missing out on the visual splendor of it all. Yeah, you're missing you're missing out on the like the cinematic techniques on all of the crazy special effects, and I think the other thing that I love about Tsukamoto's movies in general is their. Well, it's two things. One is they have this absolutely insane energy to them. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're super fast paced. There's always like just like pounding like rock and roll or metal music going on at all times. So it sort of has like this really um, like over the top coked up feeling to it, you know. And and it, it translates to like the cinematography. It that energy comes through in the cinematography, comes through in the acting, where all the acting is like slightly cartoonish, and it's probably even more disturbing. Because, like, the acting is so cartoonish, and yet you're watching this hyper-violent, like, real thing where people are getting, like, blown to pieces and stuff. Um, so it's it has, like, this weirdly unsettling effect. Like, the editing is, like, hyperkinetic. It's just really... It's visceral. It's kinetic. It's exciting. It's fast-paced. It's, it's like nothing else out there. And that's a huge part of the allure of these movies. And that's not ever going to come across by me telling you the bizarro plots of these Right. Um, like you, you just have to watch. Like find Tetsuo. It's only an hour. Just watch it. It's nuts <laughs> and it's amazing. And I think the other thing that I always found interesting was the, <clears throat> it, the movies rely a lot on association instead of explanation. Um. So like the the ideas and the way things relate to each other can sometimes be very abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that Tsukamoto makes connections between things is uh, through associative editing. Like, 
it's kind of like basic um, experimental film editing 101 type stuff where it's like you it's montage theory 101 you know you, you take two unrelated ideas edit them so they're next to each other and suddenly it creates a new idea or you create right. a relation between the two ideas um, so he's really good at using that to create a sense of tone to kind of expound upon the themes and also to um, also to deliver story beats um, mm-hmm. through sort of associative logic instead of directly portraying things or explaining things because again he has like budgetary constraints to work around he again keeps like an absurdly fast pace um in all his movies or at least the movies that i've seen of his so far Mm -hmm. yeah um so he he probably doesn't want to bog it down with a bunch of like explanations and stuff so yeah i mean it's really his stuff is really interesting and for me really fun and entertaining just on a cinematic level like tokyo fist for example is not as good as tetsuo one and two it's still like a witness but it's that movie it's really the cinematic techniques that carry it because the characters are interesting and their kind of relationships with each other are interesting but the plot doesn't cohere very well like it's it's got a good bit of narrative momentum uh, in the beginning, but it just sort of the, the last 20 minutes kind of feel like it doesn't really know where to take things story wise. So it does, it does peter out a little bit, but again, it's like, it's got this hyperkinetic camera work, this like brash in your face, uh, soundtrack and editing. And again, a lot of like associative stuff where, I think Tokyo Fist in a lot of ways is more thematically subtle than Tetsuo 1 and 2, but it's also like lean it leans much more on creating meaning through association rather than explanation. But unfortunately the story itself is just kind of like it goes it goes it goes and then it kind of just peters out. Yeah, it's it seems like it's not sure of what to do with all of its plot threads or I guess it just didn't the plot threads didn't resolve to my satisfaction anyway. Um, okay. Cause it seems like it, there's three characters, right? It's about uh, an insurance salesman and his girlfriend and a boxer. And the, the boxer and the insurance salesman are friends from high school who kind of had a falling out. And um, you know, the boxer kind of has eyes for the guy's girlfriend and she kind of finds him interesting because the insurance salesman is so he's just kind of a pussy Mm -hmm. and you know so their interactions kind of create like a toxic love triangle a toxic hyper competitive love triangle between the three of them um where they all kind of uh succumb to their more their darker and more violent instincts and and the the sort of various paths of self-destruction that they embark on subsequently and the movie is kind of setting it it feels like it's setting them up to come together in some way and have a big climactic resolution to their various conflicts but instead they they end up resolving their plot lines separately and they're not clear resolutions and because 
the film is so character driven and it's so driven by the relationships between those characters. I think the decision to resolve each of their storylines apart from each other was kind of a mistake. Okay. I can, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a synopsis, a little bit of the plot and it's weird. I I had that not to relate it to things that I had watched over the last month, but like, I feel like I might've had a similar feeling with the mortal Kombat movie. (laughs) Huh. So I haven't seen the Mortal Kombat movie, and I know next to nothing about it. It just didn't stick the landing in, in so far as a satisfying ending. I mean, so I get well the difference. The difference in that is like it just didn't feel like it built towards anything for mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat. Like it, it, they were like, oh, we're gonna have this tournament. We're gonna have this tournament. We're gonna have this tournament, and then ultimately it ends with like these two care. Like it basically spoilers because I don't think you care about it, right? I'm never gonna see it. It's not a bad, not a bad uh, choice. Um, it basically ends with a big fight between Sub Zero and Scorpion, with our like contrived main character kind of like hanging out there to help out whenever Scorpion needs like a helping hand, <laughs> which is great for the beginning of the movie, but works poorly for the end because like it's almost like the very beginning and the very end of the movie are completely torn apart from the rest of the context of the middle of the movie. Yeah, and it ends with like the with like the head good guy and the head bad guy like looking at each other and saying okay well i guess we'll fight again another day and so you don't get any like concrete resolution between what's important in the movie you just get concrete resolution to like these two side characters and their history yeah so like i that's yeah i don't know if that's the same of tokyo fist but like i sometimes like to think about like well in this case you said you wanted more of like a, I'm guessing the climax of Tokyo Fist to be like, because the plot synopsis I'm looking at is saying that the two characters end up fighting each other and like they do a sparring match and spoilers, someone dies. One of the characters dies. I'm guessing that's not the end of the movie. That takes place maybe like two thirds of the way through the movie. It's, it's like near the end. Um so the guy who loses the sparring match doesn't die, but he's horribly injured. And the guy who wins goes on to win a boxing match and then dies after winning the boxing match. And then the girlfriend dies just sort of on her own. And then the guy who lost the sparring match, uh, you know, the movie ends with him just having survived, but, you know, visibly scarred from his experiences. You know what that sounds like to me? What? That sounds like an indie feature where the person is like, the most dramatic thing is if everyone dies at the end. I know that's not the case, oh but my that's what. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I, I guess the the thing, I think this gets into a broader question of like, what, what makes a satisfying ending versus what doesn't? Um, and I think that yeah. you could probably boil it down to the question of like what's driving the movie like what is what's the thing that's driving your interest in the movie um Mm -hmm. for example for tetsuo it's thematically driven and to an also to a lesser extent it's plot driven so you just want the plot to tie up and you want the themes to tie up and and that'll kind of create a satisfying ending I think for Tokyo Fist, it's more of a character-driven movie, whereas like the intrigue and the events of the film 
are centered around the relationships between the three main characters. Yeah. And so I think you would want to have, in a character-driven movie, you'd want to have a character-driven resolution. You want their relationships to resolve. Or you want their relationships to be the focus of the resolution. And I, to me, they weren't. To me, it was like, it was a relationship and character-driven movie, but it had a plot-driven ending, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 it does. I mean, I, um, it actually does make me beg the question, since we're here, like, do you feel like a movie can have an unsatisfying ending and that be the point? I'm not saying that that's the case with this, but, like, I, there have definitely been a couple movies that I've seen where it's like, ah, this is, this ending is just so unsatisfying. But, well, like, sometimes lump, that's the point of the Would you lump No Country for Old Men into that? With the unsatisfying ending? Yeah, because I think amongst the broader public, that's kind of the, that's the famous unsatisfying ending movie, right? But would you personally, like, count it in there or not really? Um, I've, I think I've seen it too many times that I wouldn't because, like, I okay. find, I find sort of the, uh, I don't find it unsatisfying because, like, I don't know. Maybe I read it somewhere, but like sort of like the um, I guess maybe from like a technical level, the fact that the main characters never cross paths or intersect and like it's just kind of like the chaos of the events cause like Llewellyn Moss's ultimate death. But also, you know, there's just like a land of um, um, what is it? Uh, what is Tommy Lee Jones basically like reiterating at the end of No Country for Old Men? It's like, it's like the land, the old time values of cowboys and things like that, and justice, good and evil, have all been kind of warped, and it's created a world that no longer makes sense. And in a world where like good, evil, justice, injustice no longer makes sense, I don't know. I'm rambling, but I, I, <laughs> I, maybe the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, that's a weird ending. But on well, subsequent watch-throughs, I find it really enjoyable and really satisfying. Yeah. I mean, I always argue that the, you know, the ending of No Country for Old Men, the plot doesn't exactly resolve, but the themes of it resolve, so you have an ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, like, so you're talking, your initial question was about, you know, when is an unsatisfying ending the point? And I right. guess, so, like, do you have any examples? Like, I think the only thing that I can think of offhand, because, like, you asked, you begged the question, what's what's the difference between a satisfying versus unsatisfying? And the only one I can think of that's, like, truly would have been it would be, um, not to bring it back to Promising Young Woman, but if Promising Young Woman ended with her dying and that's the end of the movie... Like, that is a extremely unsatisfying ending. And, like, considering that was the original draft of the script before investors kind of, like, were like, uh, can we get something a little bit... Can we get some sort of, like, more positive resolution? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that would have gone down in history as just, like, a good movie completely ruined by a shit ending. Which, I, which then begs the... Like, that would then beg the question to me, like, well, is that ending unsatisfying on purpose to which they would say well yes because it's like in this world that's been established where 
you know, you're trying to get justice for, you know, the, you know, the privileged elite to come to justice for their crimes, the ultimate answer is, well, no, they won't come to justice. It's like, okay, well, that's, I guess that's okay, but it would have, like, it probably would have ruined the the movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I I'm trying I'm trying to think of another example because like generally speaking I don't own any movies that have unsatisfying endings like that. <laughs> um, I'm trying. Try, well, I'm trying to think of a Kurosawa movie that might like maybe The Bad Sleep Well. Like I haven't ever gone back to that. Have you seen The Bad Sleep Well? No. Okay, so it's it has that one has a very unsatisfying ending, in the sense of like you're hoping that a character can get justice for his father's death, but ultimately that does not come to be like, that's what I would kind of consider to be an unsatisfying ending Mm. where like, I haven't even wanted to approach it again. And I (laughs) generally love Kurosawa movies. Yeah. I mean, I think typically unsatisfying endings, you know, they're there to make you ask a question or to make a point. Um, you know, it's like, uh, what was it? Like, No Country for Old Men, right? Yeah. The end, the plot ending is unsatisfying, but it's there to make you look towards the thematic side of it and how that's kind of the real ending. Um, mm-hmm. Promising Young Woman. Yeah, the original ending is definitely super unsatisfying, and I think it's trying to make a point. I'm not 100% sure what that point would be, though. Um. <laughs> But, like, yeah, obviously, like, if you're going to end it that way, there's obviously some intent behind it. You are trying to get the audience to, you know, either say that's unsatisfying and then try to question whether that's unsatisfying. And in the process of that questioning, maybe come to some sort of realization about the movie or about the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or um, look elsewhere within the movie for a resolution. Right. Which yeah, I've 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 watched a couple movies that I would agree with that where it's like okay, well that's not the like why did it happen the way that it it happened? I'm trying to think of another movie that's like what you just said where it's like the um, the ending doesn't pan out the way you wanted it to, but upon closer inspection of the elements of the of the contents of the movie, it um, it's like the only ending it could have satisfyingly come to. Mm-hmm. but I, I can't think of any right now i know i've seen a couple that are kind of like that i just um it i don't um, know it seems like I it's mean, really hard to stick the landing on some some endings go ahead i'm sorry sometimes i was gonna say uh i mean there's there's certain endings that are unsatisfying because they're just bad like they're poorly done mm-hmm. um like famously game of thrones um <laughs> Like, I feel like as hard as it is to stick the landing in a movie, it's really hard in a long-running TV series. Yeah, I would agree um, with that. Because the ending of Game of Thrones is just dog shit. Like, it's so bad. And it's also, like, obvious, too. It's obvious what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it just That's sucks. probably like, what makes it The idea sucks, and the execution sucks. Another example would be, like, Twin Peaks has a really bizarre finale um, that is mystifying and terrifying <laughs> at the same time did you like the way that the the twin peaks revival ended yeah i like i liked it a lot um 
it's it really got under my skin actually i don't know why but like i i couldn't sleep after seeing it <laughs> that's actually that's a that's a that's a good sign i would think yeah. of like of effective uh yeah ending. well i would it's right. like david lynch always talks about how you know the the magic of movies is they can communicate something that's sort of beyond words it's like you mm-hmm. don't it's not something you can think in clear terms it's something that's abstract that you just sort of feel subconsciously and then that's like the the best movies can share ideas with you on that level um yeah and in a weird way i think the finale of the twin peaks revival is kind of the the best expression of that at least for me because that was one that if you just like read a plot synopsis of it would make absolutely no sense whatsoever but it was clearly super effective because it has it it had some subconscious effect on my brain where i just like i couldn't get it out of my head and i just kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and it was like there was there was like it almost was like a a, liz, a part of my lizard brain understood something that my human brain can't understand. Yeah, which is just like it, it's mind-boggling, but I mean that's what makes it so great. Um, I so I I haven't seen the series. I watched the Red Letter Media recap of of uh, season three, which which I thought was great. So I mean, if you haven't seen twin peaks and you're interested in like kind of dipping in you might want to check out some of their videos on it but be careful of spoilers because they talk extensively about the the series but they kind of say that the basic story like it it basically ends either like the episode before or earlier on in that episode and then it the show just keeps going on what almost feels like a separate tangent for like an hour or two is that is that like a good summary and then like it ends with um with like two main characters like staring at a house and like screaming and then it just kind of ends is that basically there's so throughout season three there's a lot of hints that like something is really 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 wrong with the world that can't be said or explained mm-hmm. but like something's not right something's very very deeply not right um and then so the season <clears throat> I, don't, I don't remember how many episodes long it is it's 17 part uh, it's uh wait hold on let's see okay see now it's confusing all right, hold on. Let me pull up the episode list. Episodes. All right. That's one, two, uh, 18. 18 okay. parts. So in episode, I think, either 16 or 17, all of the major, all of the major plot threads suddenly resolve in like a perfectly satisfactory, happy ending sort of way. Um, and it's done in a way that's like, that makes it seem almost cheap and makes you wonder like, this can't be for real. Like something seems weird the way everything just ties up so neatly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then the main character, Agent Cooper, travels back in time to essentially prevent the inciting event of the entire series from ever occurring. <laughs> Wait, he travels back in time? Yes. Okay. And then <laughs> there's a whole like episode or two left that it kind of seems to go on a, a different tangent, but it's not really a different tangent. It's sort of like, I think it's like everything that people, all of the soup, all of the plot threads of the, of the show were superficially resolved, but there's still this sense from the entire season that something is horribly off. And they, the, the main character, Agent Cooper and um, his kind of assistant go on a trip essentially to the heart of whatever this mystery is this what is what is really going on sort of a thing and it you know it it turns into a surrealist movie where it doesn't really make like logical sense but it just sort of makes it has its own intuitive logic to it Mm -hmm. um that involves like time travel parallel universes and all sorts of crazy shit and yeah it ends with um agent cooper and a woman who is uh laura palmer but not laura palmer someone else standing in front of laura palmer's house and um agent cooper asks wait what year is it the house flickers and uh, Laura Palm, the not Laura Palmer woman screams, and then it ends. And yeah, I, I, I had chills just down my spine when that happened. I was like, <laughs> oh God, what the fuck? <laughs> <clears throat> but like, yeah, there's, I, like, there's constant hinting that this, this season three of the show is not, is either like not real or it's, it's like there's some trickery going on or there's something wrong with this where it's like it it these look like you're all the characters you know and love and it feels like the world you know and love but it's not yeah it's another evolution of the critique of television in some ways yeah i mean i i think i mentioned this earlier that you know the original series was a parody of primetime soap operas, which were mm-hmm. the the big thing at the time. And that Twin Peaks itself sort of launched prestige TV as we think of it today. So then season right. three is ultimately a parody in some sense of prestige television. Yep. I'm, I'm looking at, cause I, I did a little bit of, of like, I won't say research into it, but like, Obviously, I'm I'm curious, but I want to just jump in on season three. Like, I don't want to watch season one and two, although I hear season one's amazing. Season two has very obvious, you know, peaks and valleys. Um, twin peaks at the start and the end of the season and a valley right in the middle. But anyway, uh, but it's just interesting <laughs> to me that, like, one, David Lynch is a, is a main side character in the show I thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. The show itself is really surrealistic and gets into some, like, what I would normally say is like comic booky territory, um, but also that the third season goes like a bunch of different places. It's not just 
in Twin Peaks. And then, like, I guess even getting to, since we're kind of already spoiling the whole thing, even getting into your the character that everyone wants to see back, Dale Cooper, doesn't it take, like, most of this, that season before you even get a hint of the original Dale Cooper back? Yeah, so he, he appears in the first episode, and then... Because he's trapped in another dimension at the beginning of the right. season. And a uh, basically an evil an evil spirit is inhabiting a, a duplicated body of his. Mm-hmm. So he's able to get a pass back into the human world, but ends up in like the body of a man who's like partially brain dead, but is it's basically like a doppelganger created for him, but is a ha- basically has like half a brain. So he's like mentally handicapped for basically the entire season 3 and only emerges at the very end as himself to suddenly save the day and resolve everything. <laughs> right, of course, cuz you know, yeah, naturally. Yeah. I know that a lot of people were kind of like looking for like, oh my God, when is Dale Cooper going to get back? When is Dale Cooper going to get back? You know, and then like to just be put off so long and then to have him like come in so suddenly only for a limited amount of time, again, would would blur the line between like, well, like, was it was it worth it for those people? But of course, the point I think of, I think Robert Frost and David Lynch are like, well, the point isn't necessarily to make it worth it to the audience we want to like challenge the audience to a degree mm-hmm. right exactly. like that's the that's the general assumption with that whole show is it started off as like a parody but also challenging the audience to like would you like this we're gonna put some things out there that are kind of strange with you know a bunch of characters as a person who's never really seen the show but has kind of heard people talk about it and kind of you know interface with it and things like that i find it i find it like the thing that people like the most is the fact that it's not like anything else they saw so it makes Mm -hmm. sense that instead of giving people what they would want they would delay it and then when they did give the thing that people wanted they would make it as sort of like as flaccid as possible that make you think like well hey wait is is that did why did they do it like that is you know does the yeah like yeah i'm i'm babbling but I, I think that's also another interesting aspect in filmmaking is like it's hard. It, it's easy to give people what they want. It's kind of easy to give it to them satisfyingly, but it's more interesting to give people something that they never thought they wanted to begin with in mm-hmm. instead of what they really wanted. Yep. So exactly. Anyway. So you're on a Shinya Tsukamoto Blitz, but you also saw Jojo Rabbit. Anything else over the last like couple weeks that you've been watching? Um, Austin and I saw In the Earth, which is the latest movie from Ben Wheatley, an English um, thriller slash horror director. He also did Free Fire, which I think you saw. I did. Um, and it's like a low witness. It's super low budget, kind of um, uh, Annihilation Light. I guess, um, you know, with some like pandemic window dressing to make it timely. Uh, oh God! Because well, he filmed it over the course of 15 days in August 2020, so it's got like kind of that pandemic feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like you know, people out in the wilderness. Nature is scary. Um, some cool editing and and visual effects and stuff. Ultra low budget. 
not great by any means but you know it's decent it's pretty like tense and um and moody so that's interesting yeah. um i like you mentioned free fire and like free fire is an interesting movie because it's like uh, like ha- have you seen free fire no okay so like the general idea of it is it's like a gun like an arms deal a back alley arms deal but like everything that could go wrong does go wrong but not in sort of like the glorified movie way but in sort of like a gritty awkward realism way and so like fire was like a it's like one of those stage plays where it's like a, a a family gathers together for dinner and then by the end of the dinner they're all at each other's throats but instead it's an arms deal I I guess it's kind of like that. I just remember like a lot of awkward things happening. Like one guy gets like the top of his head blown off, like the very top part of his head. So like his just brain is exposed. Yep, just to, <laughs> just just the top, but uh, just the tip of the head. But like his brain is exposed, and he's doing like weird things as he's walking around. And then like Charlto Copley is like wandering around this like drug laden back alley building, and he's getting like all of these like needles poked into him that all have like diseases and stuff and he's going crazy and like like Killian Murphy and Brie Larson kind of have like a flirty thing going on but they're also like antagonistic towards each other and like weird shit happens to them as well it's it it was really strange like it was one of those Hmm. movies that it's it was so unique in in its execution and like I should want to watch it again but it's just sort of like okay that's that was interesting um you might like it a lot i just was like i thought the concept of it was cool and the execution was about as good as i as i could expect mm-hmm. but like it's not it it wasn't my cup of tea as yeah. they say in england so um i don't know if i would be approaching in the earth and like i guess ben wheatley also did high rise yep as well which is you saw that right nope I haven't no, seen you didn't any see Ben that. Wheatley stuff prior to okay. this. What was I? Th- I was thinking of High Life, or whatever that one. Would, High Life um, is uh, Claire Denis. Yeah, that's right. Um. So okay, but yeah. So, in the Earth, it, what was it? Was it fine? A witness? It's like a low witness. Low witness. Yeah. It, it all of the stuff that came out like post, like in the middle of the pandemic, like when TV started started up again like you could just tell that people were super conscious of the whole like we need to keep everyone distanced away like everything was shot on a lens that was just a little (laughs) too long and like scenes that should be crowded had no one in them anymore and it was like yeah we're we're always gonna know that this was the season that the season during covid as it were (laughs) Uh, so i'm not i'm not surprised that some of the movies are weird or weirded out like that yeah. So what have you been watching lately? Um, I haven't watched too much new stuff. I kind of revisited some old things. I'm trying. I'm I'm working my way through Malcolm X, so I'm I want to talk oh. about that when I'm finished with it because it's so far it's really good and it's actually a lot more thought provoking than I thought it would be. Yeah. If that makes sense. But I kind of want to save any observations until after I finish it. So. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's that's the main new movie aside from like, you know, Godzilla versus Kong, which I think we talked about and the Mortal Kombat movie. 
Um, it's I I went and rewatched um, the Hidden Fortress from Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. It's because you know that's George Lucas famously said you know like oh yeah Star Wars is based off of the Hidden Fortress kind of and like it kind of is um, the whole idea of like the two lowliest people that's who the story is initiated by mm-hmm. and sort of like their effect in in the events of the story going forward and the fact that like it's an adventure film where they go from like location to location um you can see kind of the star wars influence there um have you seen the hidden fortress nope okay it's it's kind of hard to recommend because it's just it's a little strange but it is definitely a witness it's not kurosawa's best movie i think it's the first one he shot in widescreen it's really good it's just it, there's just like a little bit of weird plot things. Um, but I think it kind of stands out because like it has a really strong female presence in a Japanese film industry where like female characters weren't exactly like highly valued. And mm-hmm. Kurosawa himself with female characters, like his most famous ones are the evil ones. Yeah. So it's really interesting that like the the main female character is the princess from a clan that has lost a big battle and she's the last survivor and um like she's also like the only kind of really smart character in it but she's brash and she was raised as they say in the movie she was quote raised like a boy unquote so she's like Mm. very strongly opinionated she doesn't stand like a like like they would think a girl would stand like her legs are always spread apart she always has like uh, high posture strong stance always carrying something and like early on you find out that um there was like this rumor that the princess was assassinated and it turns out that her chief protector it was his sister that was killed instead of her um hmm. and like everyone seems to be okay with this and like the the protector is like oh well the you know my sister was doing her duty and like the the princess is just like what the fuck is wrong with all of you people? I'm just one person. Why are all of these people dying for me? And like she runs away briefly and like as like the toll of responsibility is like put on her shoulders and like the people inside are like just let her go. You know, she's got to she she's frustrated but she has to deal with this in her own way. Like everyone's suffering in their own way and it's like no, no, the princess has a point. Like this old notion of like this one princess is the savior of everything is kind of a fucked up notion and we should, uh, and we should evaluate that. So there's, there's moments like that. There's like the, the two, um, the two main beggar characters at one point, they're like looking at her and they're like contemplating raping her. And this like servant girl that they picked up, like sees them leering at her. The servant girl who seems like she'd be docile, like grabs a stick and some rocks and starts throwing it at the guy. I'm like, stay away. You come near her. I will kill you guys. Like I'll beat that oh shit out gosh. of you. And I'm like, wow, this is a, uh, this is very like, it was funny because the two main characters who are both in seven samurai, they're like complete nincompoops. So mm-hmm. you're like, you're like, yeah, of course they would, you know, be bested by all of these, but like it, it's just interesting how Kurosawa takes, like elements of the past that are sort of like glorified or these notions of like society that are normally seen as like, Oh yeah, this was the best time in society. And it's like, no, this is kind of shitty. Like Mm -hmm. these, these people, like even the poorest of the people are kind of shitty. But 
it, it has a very strange ending. Um, but it's definitely worth a watch if you're into like if you're into Kurosawa films, you've obviously already seen it. But it definitely has some value as far as like the developing Japanese film industry in the 60s, sort of like bridging the gaps between Kurosawa and the Seven Samurai movies and then his work in like Yojimbo and things like that. Like it's an obvious another stepping stone. And of course, the transfer from Criterion Collection is like fantastic as always. Um, the cinematography is really good. They have some really cool like uh, impressionistic moments in the movie as well. Um, hmm. So yeah, it's it's worth seeking out, I would say. Nice. And then I, I yeah, I rewatched uh, Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I was, I forgot, I was talking to someone about it and I was just like, oh, it was watching Kong versus Godzilla and I was just like, man. Man, Pacific Rim is so much better. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, fuck it, give me Charlie Hunnam and all of the bad acting and stuff. And like, like I realized watching Pacific Rim that like we actually did get that satisfying Idris Elba movie. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's Not like, really. oh, what do you mean by that? So a lot of times, like, for example, in Star Trek Beyond, people were like, well, the villain's kind of lame. Like, they cast such a great actor in Idris Elba, but he just feels underutilized. Or, mm. um, or like the Gunslinger movie. They're like, oh, they cast Idris Elba, but he just feels underutilized. It's like, you know what, bitches? Fucking watch, watch Pacific Rim again, because you know who dominates that movie? Supporting character General Pentecost. That's who. General General Pentecost. Do not what, what take the, my that, calm demeanor to mean I am calm ranger. Like, <laughs> fuck, dude. I think Pentecost is one hell of a name. It's so awesome. But like, there's also a guy named Hercules in there, like Hercules mm. Hannon or whatever. Like, I know. And it's it's far enough removed that like I can say that like to me, Pacific Rim is a perfect form of cinema. <laughs> I'm happy to say that. I think it's I think it's probably just like an exceedingly high shiny in chrome, but I don't mm-hmm. think there's a single thing in that movie that that I would want changed. Like yeah, it's it's tough cuz it's it's so much fun. It's just so mm-hmm. stupid. Yep. Um but it in a way that's that the only thing it. holding it back. I know, that's the thing. It embraces how stupid it is. And then like stuff that you would normally criticize like charlie hunnam's completely out of control accent <laughs> just lends more of that fun quality to the movie the sort of ambiguity between like well do, does 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 uh does raleigh and uh mako do they have like what exactly is their relationship i don't know it doesn't matter because guess what they drift well together whatever that means you know like yeah that's it, it's fine it all adds to it like the sort of like sexless romance or sexless you know or like brother sister relationship that they have whatever you want to make of that you they're know. just like they're like they're colleagues <laughs> they're very good work buddies mm-hmm. <laughs> and the shatter dome with the clock that like I remember watching when I, back when I watched Cinema Sins, they were like, "Why do you need more than one Jaeger at any time? That's a plot hole. It doesn't make sense why you would need so many." And it's like, no, it does make sense because sometimes there's a kaiju that you know what you just can't take one on one, and you know what there are kaiju that pop up even though they all pop up from the same area, they can transfer to different areas. And you know what, sometimes uh, the coast of Alaska isn't the closest place to deploy a kaiju, so. 
CinemaSins kind of sucks, and yet they still keep making videos. That's a plot and hole. People, st- <sighs> people still watch it. Really? Your movie I made it to kind of like, I thought they kind of died. Did they? I know a lot of people have been calling for their death for a while and have been proving that they're whatever they do. Because they're like not really criticism, but they are criticism, but they're parody, but they're not really good parody, but it's okay because it's parody. Well, yeah, it's like, like, well, it's like those, uh, you know, Comedy Central. It's like The Daily Show where it's like, it's like, oh, we're not news. We're comedy. It's like, but th- th- that's kind of a cop out. Like you are sort of delivering the news in a comedic format. It's, but, you know, it, it's still kind of news, you know, just like. Yeah, uh, I would say it's news you know, criticism. Is, I guess, format. but it's just like, it's kind of the same thing with. um Cinema sense. Cinema sense. It's like you're not. Yeah, it's like oh, we're not criticism. We're just comedy. It's like, but you're also criticism. Yeah, like it. It's not critic. It, we're we're making jokes, and whenever we're wrong, that's a joke. Like, and the other the other. I don't rule think of, it works that way. The other rule of comedy, something else, hybrids, is that the worse the comedy is, the more you are the other thing. So if you're a criticism comedy hybrid, the worse your comedy is, the more you're a critic. If you're a yep. news comedy hybrid, the worse your comedy is, the more you're just reading the news or <laughs> giving fake news <laughs> or 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 commenting very earnestly about the news. Yeah, oh no, yeah, you're or, right. or you're just an opinion show. Maybe like you're an, right. There's nothing worse at... than like an unfunny opinion news show. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know. Just that was an non sequitur, but uh, go ahead and see what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I was looking at CinemaSins uh, recent views, and like they're still getting like hundreds of thousands of views, but if it's not something like, you know, like popular movie that everyone's seen, then it's just like, no one's really watching it. You know, like the, the hardcore <laughs> CinemaSins fans who are Everything like, wrong no, with they're Tetsuo at- 2. Oh my God. <laughs> they just put out, I think that would be... Anytime they do something like that, I think like the Mad Max one where they're just like, okay, so <sighs> CinemaSins rant. One thing that they just can't seem to get their heads around, even though they do it themselves, is like artistic license. Like if yeah. anything has some sort of artistic license, they're like, oh, you're wrong there. And it's like, the fuck is wrong with you guys? Like, I guess, I guess in the world of like completely like sterile... obvious, you know, 100% earnest or not, not even earnest, just like academic filmmaking. We will take all of these sins and get rid of all of them. So there's no sin, but then they would get it. It's not even academic. It's just like neutered. It's just like, uh, like, like Mad Max Fury Road. They're like, oh, we didn't hear these cars until they came onto frame. And it's like, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's called building tension. It's, it's called academic license. Or not academic, it's artistic license. Artistic it's license. Like, guess what? It makes the, the movie better. Like, oh, but it's a cliche. It's like, well, n- I mean, maybe, but it's an effective one. It's basic film grammar. It's basic anticipation grammar, but whatever. They make They make a ton of money off of just pointing out obvious things, and then people are like, yeah, that's obvious, and that makes me laugh, and therefore it's funny. It's like... I don't think I don't think comedy works that way, especially yeah, when they get know. really into like the criticism. Like, this doesn't make sense. Why does like 
why why does he have to have like the blood tattooed onto his body? And then why did they put the blood bag in the front of the car when this and that? And like, why don't they care about blah, blah, blah? It's like, oh my God, dude, just guy like, no, just. <sighs> Tetsuo too, why do they speak Japanese? Ding. Ding. <laughs> what? Why is why does he look like a metal cyborg? Ding. Ding. Like, oh my god. What's up with like... these impressionistic color filters? Ding. Why is this in black and white? Oh, it must be for artistic purposes, cliche. Ding. <laughs> Characters die ex machina. Ding. Fuck you. Uh which is hilarious because Tetsuo, the only reason the first Tetsuo is in black and white is because he couldn't afford color film stock. <laughs> Man, that shit's expensive. <laughs> it's super, like, color film stock, you're, 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 uh, you know, kind of a nobody underground filmmaker in 1980s Japan. And you're, all you can afford is, like, I think he shot uh, Tetsuo on 16. 16 millimeter black and white That's yeah i think got. so yeah from by my wikipedia searching which counts as research for cinemasins ding um ding. yeah <laughs> the episode where we get cinemasined apostrophe d no e cinemasined um what is that yeah, like, a new like startup <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it would be with a y it'd be like s-y-n-d Cinema Sind, um, because it's hip and cool, and we can't Dude, spell things right in the current modern day. I have, a, day I have a whole fucking economy. rant about people naming their companies dumb shit, but <laughs> maybe that's for it better for another time. <laughs> um, there's there's a book I was reading about this one company that was like, we don't want to name it the most obvious thing. We want to name it something that sticks. They're the they're the people who came up with like Swiffer as a name. Um, and they're just like, we take a look at like what the most obvious name would be for it. And like, we just throw it out and we think like, well, what's the, what's like the feeling we want to give you? We want to reach you on an emotional level. We want to be the Steven Spielberg of marketing teams. <laughs> cause, cause you know what sticks with you? Emotion. Like if you want to have like a hip overpriced, um, store, generic store that does a generic thing or provides a generic service but have it be hip and overpriced just say whatever the thing is that you do and then have it have the suffix be either bar lab or studio oh yeah they don't because they don't do shop anymore do they like i know no, sometimes they i'll try to do like th this is the old time movie shop and movie is spelled like m-o-u-i or m-o-u-v-i-e S H O P P E and it's with like a P -P oh. at the end. Yes. And you yeah. go in there and like everything's like themed appropriately and the person comes in, Oh, hey there, sport, how are you doing? Like that's my kind of that that, that appeals to me on like the on like the ooh, look at this movie shop and they no, charge you gotta like, have like like five hundred percent sleek corporate minimalist design to everything. Everything's gotta be super shiny. And then whatever you're selling, you have to pick either lab, studio or bar and it has to be the one that makes the least amount of sense because that's what's going to stick right. right now is this so, the kind of company that they would also have the uh like if it's like a movie store it would actually just be film because they have to take the most pretentious version of that word or or would they go for the simple one no we're not like not even these this place wouldn't even sell movies it would be like <laughs> it'd be like other shit right so you remember the spectrum yeah so 
the spectrum has had like it's basically doubled in size there's been a lot of new oh. construction they've added oh on a lot gosh. of new new shops and things like that and um it's a lot like of new studios all, labs and such. all the new so all the new buildings are like super slick and modern looking and all of the stores occupying them have the most pretentious fucking names i've ever heard so there's a store that sells jeans the denim mm-hmm. lab oh my um, god there's uh there's like one of those exercise bike class places yeah it's called the cycle bar <laughs> there's a hair salon guess what it's called the dry bar and it's got a picture of a hair dryer that's a national company because <laughs> there's one I know. In here. well okay there's one in georgia you can't get a yeah. spot in the spectrum if you're not a chain they don't allow oh, pop okay. shops in there that's um, true that's true or high tech pl- or yeah, yeah, there's a place called the Lip Lab by Bite. Ooh. Like, not only is it called the Lip Lab, but it also has by something. Like, it's a designer thing to make it even more pretentious. Um, and I don't know what they do. I don't know if they sell lipstick. I don't know if they're doing plastic surgery. I don't know if they're doing both. I don't care. It drives. It's just infuriating. Like, like why actually, would, who would think of this? It's actually for like women's vaginas. I just. <laughs> The other lips. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. They have to keep it. They have to keep it classy with a C I E classy. Are you sure? Are you sure? Clam Studio wouldn't be a better name. <laughs> <laughs> the Clam Lab. Oh my god, the Clam Studio. I can just imagine like, like you go in in this like big industrial looking space with like modern, completely. Uh, it's like. Concrete industrial space, completely wooden counters with like high tech minimalist modern lamps on there. And you go in and they're like, Am I, do I go to a back room? And they're like, Oh no, this is the studio. You do it right here in the like, place your... just smells like fish. <laughs> <laughs> Some tech investors like listening to this right now and they're like, Fuck. This is a brilliant idea. We need to patent this shit now. Like, oh, no. This is not. No. Oh, I guarantee you there's some, like, consumer conglomerate that's like, this is genius. Oh, God. Everyone, I mean, dude, everyone, everyone's looking for their, for their in on the, uh, on the startup market. So I know. And, yeah, and, like, oh, yeah, and the other rule, the other rule is. Yes. You know, so if you want to have a store, you got to have some stupid name like that. But. If you want to have like a startup, you're starting up a new business, especially if it's a tech company, just take any word and remove all the vowels and that's your name. <laughs> no joke. I had a, uh, I, I thought of this a while ago, a short film thing. I'll have to send it over to you, but it's, it's the idea of like, um, like Airbnb or Lyft or mm-hmm. uh, DoorDash. I'll probably take this out, but, or DoorDash, but like for bounty hunters. And the app is called Hunter, H-U-N-T-R. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, so uh, um, there was a web series that um, one of our friends was on called Demon Hunter. And it's like, it's, like a, it's like an app for hiring people to come and, you know, exercise your house, basically. Um, oh. But the app, you know, they drop the E at the end because, of course, they fucking do. You know, that's, that's how it is. That's how the startup <laughs> world is. And, yeah, that, they captured that. 
But yeah, I got Hold I like on, I get so, so sick of all these startup names where they just drop vowels from normal words. It's like you're not you're not clever, you're not creative. Go fuck yourself. That's I think that's the angel investor coming in and they're like, "Oh yeah, we have this cool idea." And the angel investor is like, "Drop the the." <laughs> Don't you mean like, oh angle investor? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like thinking of like the characters in Soul, the, the abstract art. They're the angle investors. <laughs> that, that's oh, how. Jesus. That's just the the little blue sprites. That's how like Mark Zuckerberg sees people. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like that's why Facebook is blue, dude. Because. <laughs> Wasn't everything purple now? Like Facebook's purple, Instagram's purple. I, I could have sworn Twitter got turned purple. Um, I my Facebook is still baby blue, but maybe it's because I uh, I was gonna make a, a joke there, but I'm I'm not going to. I don't. Know. We we don't need any reason to be canceled. I know Instagram has the sort of like the the sort of calming purple teal aesthetic going on. I don't know about Twitter. I think my Twitter's still teal teal for twitter and i think tumblr is still no one cares about because it's tumblr but um what have you have you heard of tumblr the birthplace of cringe yes i've heard of tumblr yeah yeah see like i said no one cares about it because it's just like it's like the 4chan for fans or we're uh no one who no one who's on tumblr listens to us anyway so it doesn't matter <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Ah, jeez. Hey, speaking of, like, shilling out for social network and tech startups, where can they find our content? On underthewheels.com. There's no vowels in that because we're a hip tech startup. (laughs) (laughs) We dropped the the, the under the wheels.com. It's just under the wheels.com. There's no E's in wheels. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we were gonna make it utw.com but then we were like oh but it has a it has a vowel so now it's just ntw.com but we have to get rid of the w because it's two vowels even though it's a consonant it's the uh it's the see i'll go down the rabbit hole of like the weird like hmm it's a consonant made up of two vowels and therefore and then the mathematical like sort of like pipe pipeline down there of like into the ad absurdum area. What? <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> underthewheels.com. You can find the podcast as well as other content on uh, YouTube, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. Austin's been putting up video reviews of a couple recent movies. So, like, you know, nobody that, the like, the comedy John Wick with Bob Odenkirk as John Wick for some reason. Um I think Austin put out a video on that one and a a couple Mm -hmm. others like Mortal Kombat. Um, So be sure to check those out. You can also uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on. Don't follow us on Twitter. Delete your Twitter. No, no one should ever use Twitter. Just get rid of it. Make a positive change in your life today. Delete your Twitter. Um, Yes. And music by Mike. Yep. Am I missing anything? Um, I don't No, I don't think so. Go watch, uh, go watch some, uh, 
Shinya Tsukamoto and yeah, buy a, Kurosawa. a box of like <laughs> 10 Shinya Tsukamoto movies and watch all of them. Yeah, when you get it like a year and a half later. <laughs> in in fairness to Grindhouse Video, I think they'll fulfill your orders much more quickly now that they're. It's not two people in a shack trying to <laughs> put out like 10,000 orders. Now that all of the restrictions are being lifted in Florida, it's like they expanded to three people. I mean, if they hire me, then the rate will stay the same. So, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> if you guys need well, any help. It's funny. So I guess they, they put out uh, like a, a weekly video on YouTube, just kind of talking about like what's going on at the store and stuff mm-hmm. and um, and like fielding questions and things like that. And so one, one of the one of the nice things about buying from like one of these small independent sellers instead of Amazon is they wrap, they secure your packages really well. Yeah. Like I've ordered DVDs and Blu-rays from Amazon where like some guy just threw it into a bag and it, it came in like two pieces, you know, when it gets here. And um, whereas the box that I got from Grindhouse Video, like it was heavily bubble wrapped. Like it was super secure, um, came in great shape. And obviously you need a lot of bubble wrap for that. So they were saying, <laughs> I guess they're saying like one of the big delays was they couldn't get it. They kept running out of bubble wrap and couldn't get any more. So then someone asked like, why don't you just order like more bubble wrap? And he's like, because we don't have enough space in the store to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I don't know if there was like a shortage or a run on bubble wrap during this time. Cause that's, what's been happening with like microprocess microprocessors as Martin Sheen would say. Um, well, so I don't a, know there's they, a run on everything these days. Yeah, that's true. But I wonder if that also like led into it is like they don't have enough room for the videos that they're burning. Or how was the packaging, by the way? It's really nice. Cause like I like the Criterion stuff because they like they take time and put stuff in, but then because of that, they also are like, okay, we're gonna charge you twice as much. So like, um, but I know a lot of the smaller independent ones, they like put like time, effort, care, blood, sweat, and tears into like making sure it's a good product. So it was like packaging. I mean, it's, it's Arrow Video. So it's, um, you know, it comes in a nice box. The mm-hmm. the Blu-ray, the discs themselves are not like, they're not stuffed with like booklets or anything. Everything's just on the disc. But, you know, it, it's compact, efficient, and it looks nice. Okay. And then, and then yeah, the store itself, like, I mean, they bubble wrap the shit out of this. It's in pristine shape because I think it was like it was shipped. It was like ground shipping across the country to get to me. So, (laughs) you know, uh, they did a good they did a really good job of securing it. Unlike Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) The extra like 10 bucks you paid in shipping went to like all the bubble wrap that went into it. (laughs) Um, I know how much ground shipping costs, so like, just <laughs> just be happy for what you get. You get. <laughs> um, anything else to add? Um, I don't think so. All right. Is there something well, I'm missing? No, I I was just I was just gonna you know close it out in the usualish way. Although I'm on the Arrow film site right now, and I'm just like being bombarded with a bunch of like gloriously beautiful and yet super weird looking images. Oh yeah, the nice thing about Arrow Video is they do um they have really cool cover art for everything they do. And it's all like uh they typically do like classic um horror, science fiction and uh thriller movies. 
but like all of the all of the cover art for the Shinji Sukamoto box is, is pretty cool and for the, the discs inside. Nice. You think they would uh you think they would hire me? Should I be catering my my thumbnails so that I can get a job from them? That's uh, <laughs> worth a shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> um Man, dude, a trip to the moon. It's pretty awesome. On that note, I'm Matthew. I'm Gabe. And you've just been under the wheels. <laughs> I know you don't care about theme park stuff, but apparently in in uh, Disneyland Paris, which is like the one of the worst things disney ever did um they put a version of space mountain in there but instead of it being space mountain it's themed to a trip to the moon <laughs> so when you're <laughs> launched out you're launched out the giant gun that shot the ship to the moon and you land on the moon and see all the imagery from the short mm-hmm. um, and then you come blasting back to earth which sounds awesome and it was until they rethemed it <laughs> like five oh years ago gosh. and fucked everything up so that's what I think of whenever I see like a trip to the moon. Now I'm just like, uh, all that lost potential, both with like how the movie was like, not really, it was preserved well enough that we can have copies of it now, but also like the Disney ride that was brilliant. And then corporate matters came in and just completely effed out all artistic value of it. Should we get, uh, Austin, a copy of, uh, arrow videos release of one cut of the dead. It was like a birthday present or something. <laughs> Did he like really like that? He hates that movie. Because that the thing is like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and he absolutely despises it. That's right. What's like the gimmick of it? It was all shot in one one long take? Kind of. So it's it's about a filmmaking crew that tries to do a one take zombie movie and ends up like having a bunch of stuff go wrong and then they have to like constantly readjust and stuff. So... First, it shows the movie that they made, and then it shows them making the movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's not that good. <laughs> it's an interesting idea, but it's just like, it's like whatever. <laughs> I was going to say, how much of it is like the the hype of like, this movie has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and you watch it and you're like, it's fine, but but you're like I'd give it. A, I'd, I'd say it's a fifty. Yeah, I or mean, it's, it's like just, a sixty. It's like, it's like amateurish. Like it feels like you're watching a student film at parts, especially when it transitions to the behind the scenes part. It, it's like a mm-hmm. bad student comedy. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could like with all that under the wheels money that will we may or may not make, just like get a copy of it, dip it in gold paint, and give it to him. The golden edition of One Cut of the Dead. Just for you, Austin. You must watch it once a year for the rest of your life. See, that would, if we had, there's a bunch of things um, that, like, if we had a, if we had a, if we had, like, a pretty normal following and we had a Patreon that I would, like, that I would put. Things that you would absolutely, most of it would just be things that you or I would absolutely hate doing. (laughs) <laughs> Although since it's since I'm the one thinking of it, it's mainly like movies that you would absolutely hate that we would have to watch. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it would be fun. I'm trying to think. God. They usually come to me like after a while. I'm like, oh, this this movie that Gabe would just like it would be a complete waste of his time and his life. This is what I want. T 
to hear his opinion on. I would hate it too, but I want to see Gabe watch it. And oh my just god, be you're pissed. such a sadist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, when you get so frustratingly mad on something, it makes me it, it gives me nothing but entertainment as I laugh my way through the entire episode. And then the next day I'm like, why is my throat so oh yeah, that's right, because because <laughs> Gabe really hated something. And I thought it was funny. <laughs> Finished.